1: And follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And welcome to our first show of 2022. Uh, We hope our listeners had a great holiday. We're back in the new year here to talk about the upcoming 2022 minor league season and our first look at projected rosters, which Bob wrote over at BaltimoresportsandLife.com. We're also going to talk about some players who will be coming back from injury next season as featured in a piece that Nick recently wrote over at BSL and we'll get into some other news around baseball. So to start off as we usually do, um, with these shows, we want to welcome new members of our Patreon community. And I believe Bob is going to shout out our new member.
2: Yes. Tom Walters came in at the AAA level. Really appreciate it. So that's our only new one for this week, but, uh, Always appreciate whenever anyone signs up. And Tom is the latest. Welcome aboard, Tom.
1: Yes, thank you, Tom, for your support. And uh, we'll get right into the first big topic of tonight's show, which is projected rosters. Uh, Back shortly before Christmas, Bob wrote a piece over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com that took a look at projected rosters from the Florida Complex League all the way up to Norfolk. Um, Along with projecting the rosters, Bob also had some analysis, and a Watt's ability rating, which is a scale of 1 to 10 that he applies to each affiliate. So, Bob, just before we get into specific rosters, give us a little bit of background on your process for making these.
2: Yeah, I did this last year, too. It's it's always fun. It's like putting together a puzzle. You, you know where the big pieces go. You start with the corners. <laughs> you know, Adley's going to be a catcher as long as, you know, the the CBA doesn't change, and if they're on lockout mm-hmm. or whatever – you know, DL Hall is probably going to start at double A. So you start with these solid blocks and then you say, okay, is Hudson Heskin going to move up to double A or is he going to stick in high A? Well, let's see how the rest plays out and then we'll fit him in at the end, wherever it makes the most sense. So I have to imagine it's kind of similar to where they decide these guys are going to be. Obviously they have a lot more information about what their talent level is and what they're ready for, but it's a fun exercise just to just to put together and helps you get excited for this upcoming season.
1: Um, Now, usually with these rosters, you cover the starting lineup and the starting rotation and some of the bullpen, but not all of it, but also not the bench. Correct. So in other words, if our listeners check out this article and they don't see a player listed in the starting lineup, that doesn't mean they're not projected for a certain level. It just means they're, they're probably going to be on the bench and they're not listed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And on my spreadsheet, I do have, a bench filled out a little bit, four or five guys pretty much for each level. So, you know, Daryl Hernaiz, he is in my heart and soul. Adam Hall, he's, he's here. They're just not exactly starting, I don't think. They'll probably get plenty of starts throughout the season, but just opening day, I can imagine them being on the bench to start.
1: We'll start right at the top of the farm system with the Norfolk Tides. Now, when we did this show last year, we were very high on the potential 2021 Norfolk Tides, the actual team looked a little bit different than the projections. Struggled a little bit more, but there were still some highlights. This year, though, it seems like this is going to be a year where the Tides have truly elite prospects from day one. Uh, Adley Rutzman is Bob's projected catcher. There, Grayson Rodriguez is projected to be at the top of the rotation, where he'll be joined by Kyle Braddis and Kevin Smith, who were both recently added to the 40-man roster. Also going to be a chance to see whether or not Kyle Stowers and Robert Newstrom can repeat their success from last year as they return to Norfolk. Tyler Nevin would be there as well, along with Patrick Dorian. Zach Watson makes a move up, and Bob has him as the center fielder. Caden Grenier at shortstop. And hopefully the Eustineo Diaz comeback tour begins in April with him as the D8s for the Tides. Now, Nick, um, you you live down in Virginia. You follow the Tides very closely. What are your first thoughts when you look at this potential roster?
0: Uh, Another good year, uh, like you mentioned, for prospects and just so glad. I remember going back to like the 2019 season. I think I had it pulled up at one point and I don't know where it is now, but I think it was 2019. Like you look at the list of the players who appeared in the most games for Norfolk. It was like Ryan Mountcastle number one because he was the international league MVP, the final international league MVP that year. Uh, and then there's like Mason Williams, Christopher Bostic, uh, Zach Vincy Those are the next three names for like most games played on that Norfolk roster. That's not the case anymore. Like there's really no filler here, uh, in this projected roster. Um, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure there'll be some more like Spencer Watkins S signings that could affect this a little bit. And I'm interested to see what happens with like Michael Bauman, Alex Wells, Zach Louther, uh, I'd like to see all those guys in the major leagues, which is where I think Bob has them uh, projected there. But if you expand this out a little bit, but definitely going to be interesting to see where they land. Uh, But I think just a couple of things that stood out to me here with this Norfolk roster, like, I do agree that I think Taron Vaver could start in AAA. Uh, I think even with his limited time in Double I thought it was really cool to hear from Ryan Fuller when we talked to him that Vaver keeps that notebook of every at-bat. When he gets back to the dugout, he updates it with everything he saw and uses that to study for the next at-bat. Um, so he's just... Maybe the ceiling isn't super high with Favre, but like that's an extremely smart hitter, who gets on base and plays sound defense. So I don't see why he can't start the year in AAA and set himself for maybe a late season call-up or, you know, let's we'll see. But the biggest thing I'm looking to see at this roster, other than, you know, Adley Stowers and Grace Rodriguez, obviously, but I'm really anxious to see how Zach Watson handles AAA pitching. Um, you know, can he keep the strikeout rate respectable? Can he get on base? Like that's my biggest thing with Zach Watson is the on-base percentage is pretty low. Harbor Park plays like a massive ballpark, huge outfield, uh, so it definitely could play to his strengths. We'll see how well the power plays at that ballpark, but um, clearly the Orioles really are high on Watson after his 20-21 to season. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does, but I think this is definitely one of the more interesting rosters we've got projected.
2: Yeah, and if you see guys that are are missing, especially at the AAA level, that's probably because I just assume – you can't have everybody make it to AAA. Someone's going to make the major league. So, this is just how I figure it would sort out. I have Michael Bauman making it, but you could very, very easily switch him and Kyle Bradish on his projected roster if Bradish were to impress in spring training. And the thing that excites me the most about this AAA roster is just the depth of guys that the Orioles can now dip into. If uh, there's an injury at third base in the outfield, it just immediately can pull up a guy straight from AAA that is legitimately you know, a talented player that can contribute at the major league level.
1: Yeah, and this is something that we're going to probably talk about a lot tonight, which is just the outfield depth that goes really from the major leagues down to the low levels of the minors and where I think there are going to be some cases that creates an interesting uh, roster crunch. But I agree with Nick. I'm very curious to see what Zach Watson does there, because as Nick mentioned, Norfolk is not a home run hitters park. But, you know, we saw Watson with the power uptick last year. Could we see a situation where his speed really comes into play? And if you have to have some of those home runs become doubles while he adjusts to AAA pitching, hopefully gets a strikeout rate down, walk rate up, probably take that trade off.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I think that's what happens. And he has that speed, too, or he can turn those doubles into triples. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw one or two in the park home runs with that Zach Watson speed. Uh I'm also looking at the pitching staff. Like it, the back end of that rotation is super intriguing as well because I mean Kevin Smith has a whole lot to prove. I think to me, like last season was just a disaster. It was a train wreck that it you just couldn't stop staring at. Um, unfortunately, like it just got worse and worse and worse, uh, and he didn't really show any progression as the year closed out, like Kyle Bradish did. But I want to see like Ofelki Peralta, Blaine Knight, and Cody Sudlock. You have as the back end of this rotation here. And I'm sure there'll be some piggybacking, but, you know, if Peralta and Sedlock, I think if they can limit those big innings that really got them into trouble when they got promoted to Norfolk last year, I think they can make their big league debuts this year. And those two guys specifically, you have to imagine that this is it for them. Uh, Like, I don't know if Peralta or Sedlock are getting any more chances after 2022. Um, And with Blaine Knight, I think he has the most to prove out of this group, but... Like I mentioned before, I think there's just you know no swing and miss in his game when he got promoted to AAA. There's just no strikeouts. Uh, but he did pitch at three levels last year and had those big life events at the end of the year after not pitching in 2020. So, like, I think he just needed a fresh start, hit the reset button this offseason, and get let's give him a handful of starts in AAA next year to see what he can do. But, yeah, those three guys are definitely very intriguing to me as far as pitching is concerned.
2: Yeah, and I should note that I did put six starters per level just because – you know, you might see some piggybacking. They might do a six-man rotation, or you know, just give me an opportunity to cram some more names in there that are they're interesting to follow. So, yeah, I I think um, yeah, the AAA rotation is very interesting. It's guys that a bunch of guys that could probably play better in uh, in the bullpen once they make to the major league level, like Peralta, Sedlock, Knight, especially. But they're going to get their chance at least to start the season, I would imagine. Coming out of the uh out of the rotation and pitching at least five or six innings. So it's pretty deep. And as long as Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman are there, this is the must see, you know, you tune into triple A Norfolk at the at the first first game you tune into on a minor league night is gonna be this as long as they're there, which could be as little as zero games. They they both might start at the major league level, but gotta gotta give it to Triple A. You might might miss a week or two of the season and, and this could be the only game in town.
1: Yeah, and before we move on from Norfolk, I did want to uh, address the Adley Rutzman thing. I know that, Bob, you have him projected at Norfolk. What's a smart, given that we don't know what's going to happen with the CBA and how that's going to affect service time manipulation. But it w- is it safe to say that we're all three in agreement that if service time manipulation is somehow eliminated in the next couple of months, that Rutzman will be in Baltimore on opening day?
2: Absolutely. And it just wouldn't have been as exciting to put Nick Chufo down there as the starting catcher. Uh- no offense, Nick.
0: No, I I don't see even I know even if the service time manipulation isn't addressed, I know like if I'm Michael Elias, I'm keeping Richmond in AAA both to get that extra year of eligibility. We all are if we're in that position. Like, let's be serious here. Uh, but at the same time, like there, there's zero reason for him to be in AAA to start the year. So I Grayson Rodriguez, sure, I think there, there's a, a huge argument as to why he should be in AAA for a handful of starts. And if anything, I think it'd be awesome to each give them. I don't know what would be more cool for as an Orioles fan. Like, do you want to see Rutschman and Rodriguez promoted the same day, a couple weeks into the season, and have them as the battering mate at a, to start a home stand at Camden Yards, or does Adley Rutschman get his day, and then Grace Rodriguez a couple weeks later get his day? Like, I, it's, the exciting thing is twenty twenty two, we're getting both of them at the major league level,
2: but I don't know which one would be more fun. I don't know. It would be cool, because you know Grayson wouldn't get the opening day start, so you get Adley Rutschman makes his debut on opening day, and then Grayson Rodriguez, number two starter, fresh out the thing, so start the season with a bang. But, no, I think that makes a lot of sense for Grayson to get it like a month or so. In AAA, get used to that ball. You hear that there's differences with the seam. Like, I even saw the guy who I have projected as a reliever here, Cole Uvla, tweeted out that he finally figured out how to deal with the the new AAA ball. He's going to tuck his thumb in like I think he said Max Scherzer does, so. Yeah, Grayson, could be a delay there, but it'll be fun either way.
1: Down the buoy, which looks like it's going to have a strong team once again, thanks to some players who were there at the end of twenty twenty one returning, as well as some newcomers, including Hudson Haskin, who Bob has in center field, and right behind in the batting order, you'll see Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, J.D. Mundy, a healthy Joey Ortiz, Johnny Ryder in left field, Christopher Cespedes in right field, Andrew Dos back at D and Maverick Hundley takes a strong defensive game to double-A, where he will catch a rotation that includes D.L. Hall, Drew Rom, Kyle Bronowitz, Zach Peake, Garrett Stallings, and then in a split spot here in the sixth uh, rotation slot, Cameron Bissop and Brandon Hannafee. So that's a look at Bowie's roster. And if you can keep that core together for a while, it's the right blend of you know talented players who got the double-A last year, and players who, you know, finished strong in Aberdeen uh, in 2021. And it looks like it could be a pretty competitive group.
2: Yeah, this is breakout central, especially this pitching staff. I'm, like, incredibly excited. Even though D.L. Hall probably will be a brief stint in A back in Double I would imagine. But Rom, Bernovich, Peak, Stallings, even Hanifee coming back from injury, all these guys are breakout candidates in a big way. You know, pretty young for the level in A, and pitching in a, in a fun team to – to play around I would imagine the offense is going to be pretty awesome too if, if this shakes out the way and even on the bench I have Adam Hall, Greg Cullen, and Toby Welk so yeah it's pretty pretty exciting stuff.
0: Adam Hall the guy that we had to protect from the Rule 5 draft at all costs is on your bench um okay uh no <laughs> he's on like the single a bench for me um no the lineup I guess before we, I look at the pitching which I, I, there's just the pitching makes there's just so much uh, different ways I think that could go. But from the hitting side of things, I think this lineup is probably pretty close to accurate. My only question would be, I'd love to see Hudson Haskin, first of all, challenged with the, an assignment to double-A coming off that injury. But my only question would be, do you guys think there is any chance Jordan Westbrook starts at triple-A? Or is that too aggressive?
2: I don't think it's impossible. I mean, you do have Vavra, Dorian Grenier. I mean, Dorian and Grenier... Grenier, sorry, um, are, you know, they're nothing that you really need to make room for. So easily he could start a shortstop over Griner uh, on an everyday basis. But I, I'm just I'm going conservative. I know we learned last year that that's not always the way to go anymore with with Elias and, and Matt Blood. But I think he'll like get a month in double A before jumping up to triple A pretty quickly.
1: Right now, I think it's more likely he starts double-A because I, as I sit here and I think about it, it's hard for me to figure out how you're going to have an infield with Taryn Babra, Caden Grenier, uh, Ryland Bannon, Patrick Dorian, and Jordan Westberg and try to work in at-bats. However, we don't really know how things are going to play out in Major League Spring Training. And if there's going to be one or two players that we would expect to be in Norfolk up in Baltimore to start the year, there's also injuries to take into account – and let's face it, you know, Westberg has shown that he can really develop over the course of a season and over an off season. So if he goes into camp and he looks really good, I wouldn't be shocked to see him somewhere in Norfolk's infield on opening day. And I think that even if he's not there in April, that's going to be one of the first major moves out of Bowie will be Westberg to Norfolk, where he'll hopefully get a taste of second base, third base and shortstop. And won't, Gunnar Henderson won't be too far behind.
0: Yeah. That was the only, I think he does start in double a, but I'm, I'm curious. I make sure there's someone else too, that we'll talk about later on that I think could be pretty aggressive. Um, but, and also it was really cool to see Matt Blood shout out Andrew Dashbach, uh, in that piece in the athletic, uh, that got me really excited even more so because we know Dashbach has the power, but he has some other cool tidbits in there. Um, especially about the defense, which is interesting that I think we can talk about more, uh, next week. We have a, a special guest on next week who can talk specifically about his defense, but, um, the pitching staff there, Hall Ron, Bronovich, Peek, Stallings, Bishop Hannafee. Like so I would go back to the Norfolk rotation and I just thought like Knight Sedlock Peralta and a fourth option, probably like, maybe Bronovich, I could see because he was so dominant in double A, using the four of them as like two piggyback starts. So splitting them up two and two, having them work out, getting them comfortable working out of the bullpen again. I know Knight said like Peralta done that already. Bob mentioned all three of us probably agree that Knight, Sedlak, Peralta probably work better as relievers. That's where you maximize their talent at the next level. Anyway, Branovich might also be in that mix as well. I don't know, but I just think, I wonder if, like could that be an option where Bronovich starts in AAA as well and you have those four guys piggybacking? And then like Drew Rahm probably won't need too long in AA if he pitches like he did last year. If Stalin tweaks a few things, he's not going to be up there for very long. Cameron Bishop probably won't be need a whole lot of time in Double A either. Like, really, only Zach Peake could use significant amount of time in Double A in that rotation. But when you look at High A, I really don't see anybody that like could get a quick call up to Double A. So, I think this is definitely going to be the most interesting to see how it shakes out uh, in a couple of months. Because well, a lot geez,
1: of the- oh, go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say,
2: Gene Pinto will be ready by May May second, May third.
1: I feel like that's a little conservative for you, team Pinto. I thought you were (laughs) going to say like the day after opening day. He's going to throw no hitter. Yeah, he's going to throw no hitter on opening day for Aberdeen. He's going to get promoted to Norfolk or (laughs) Bowie the next day. Then Norfolk by July fourth,
2: of course. Yeah,
1: but I think that this Bowie rotation, you look at and there's a lot of guys that could move quickly because you know if DL Hall, who I expect is going to be used pretty conservatively to start the year innings wise, if he's really dominant out of the gate. I think once you build him up to five innings, you're probably putting him in AAA. Um, you know, just to see what he does against older hitters and also knowing that if not for the injury, he probably would have gotten time in AAA last year. I agree that Rom, if he goes back to Double A, probably isn't going to need a lot of time. And I think that if someone in this group ends up starting the year in AAA, it's going to be Bissop, who was on track, I think, to reach AAA before he missed significant time with injury last year, or Bronovitz, just because... Bronovitz is you know, older than Drew Rahm and was so good between high A and double A last year that they may not feel like he has much to prove at that level and see what his stuff does against older hitters.
0: I think it's this buoy roster and a lot of this buoy roster, especially the pitching staff, is just a good example of how deep the upper levels of the minor leagues finally are. Like It's not just a few guys peppered in here and there. Like These lineups, top to bottom, the pitching staffs, top to bottom, are are super deep and it's going to be a, a, a really fun puzzle. Michael Ives is going to have fun putting this puzzle together as well. I feel like, um, and I've this piece more than anything makes me want baseball like now and talking about it is not helping. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a, a good new problem. The Orioles have is so much depth at the upper end of the minor league system that there's so many guys banging on the door for a promotion or for a debut, I mean, that's what good teams have, and obviously we're not good at the major league level, but hopefully we are soon, and if they can continue this uh, elite talent pipeline, as Elias likes to call it further down the line when we are a competitive team, it's it's nice to have that competition where everyone's just you know competing for this, a few spots that are available, and, and the, the cream of the crop rises.
1: I'll add this about Bowie, which is that I really like this bullpen. Um, Adam Stauffer, Nolan Hoffman, Tyler Burtz are three pitchers that you list, and then, Bob, and then in your write-up about Bowie, you throw in Logan Gillespie's name. So you're looking at a bullpen at a time, a lot of hard-throwing right-handers in it, and that could be really interesting to watch.
2: Yeah, again, a bunch of guys that could probably be in AAA before halfway mark of the season. These are guys that they've got good stuff, and like Logan Gillespie, you protect them in a the 40-man, you're not going to leave them in AA for too long before you... You want to give him a look and see what he's got. And same with Nolan Hoffman, you made him the first pick in the very important minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. So you got to get him up as soon as possible. So, yeah, it's an interesting bullpen there. And that's something that we didn't have in the system last year, I feel like, was a bunch of exciting, hard-throwing arms coming out of the bullpen, other than, like, you know, Nick Vespi, but he was hurt for most of the season, and he doesn't throw that hard. Uh, Felix Bautista, he came in and, and was pretty fun. But we haven't had, you know, like, especially in the lower end of the – minor league system a bunch of super strong relief prospects
1: so we'll go down now to Aberdeen and if you like offense you really should like Aberdeen's lineup Anthony Servideo would be there it's starting shortstop um, followed by Colton Kowser in center field Connor Norby at second base Kobe Mayo at third base Jacob Teeter who intrigued all three of us with his performance at Del Marvo last summer is there as the opening day first baseman with John Rhodes in right field Dante Williams in left field T.T. T. Bowens back as the designated hitter, and Connor Pavloni as the catcher. Um, so that's an impressive lineup. And then you get into the rotation, which has some pretty high upside names in it, including Gene Pinto, along with Brandon Young, Carlos Tavera, uh, Houston Roth, who was pretty solid for Marva most of last year, and Noah DeNoyer and uh, Ryan Watson. So, Nick, I'm going to start with the guy at the top of the lineup, and that's Anthony Servidio. Uh, he missed a lot of time due to injury last year, but before he got hurt, we saw part of what made him such an interesting pick uh, when the Orioles took him to 2020 draft because played great defense in multiple positions and had a really high walk rate that looked like it was going to be sustainable um, all year.
0: Yeah, I mean, he averaged, I uh, forget might be how many games I mean it seemed like every other game he was walking at least two times a game. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many games out of the ones he played. He had multiple walks, but it was a significant amount Um, on base machine. He was an on base machine. And the big question coming out of the draft was our video was like, is the hit tool for real? Because, it wasn't great early in his career at Ole Miss. And then I think it was the Cape. He went on the Cape and hit like under 200, I believe, in the Cape Cod League. Uh, and we know like that's that's a league that you know teams look at. If you have success with that wooden bet in that elite wooden bat league, like you're gonna be a, a good prospect. And Servideo didn't really show out in the Cape. Uh and but I know it's Eric Longen hanging at Fangraphs said in his brief time uh in that COVID 2020 shortened college season, in his look at Servideo, he thought that was like for real. I know it was early non-conference games, like how much can you really take away from that? You know, SEC teams aren't playing strongest competition it, to start the year off. Uh, but he thought that the hit tool was for real and he made real gains. Uh, and we started to see that. He came out to get slow last year, but then he started to pick up with the bat uh, right before the injury. The glove I thought was really good. It's solid. Uh, it's one of the best in the farm system. So Servidio so is definitely extremely exciting player. And just overall, this whole lineup like is going to be Aberdeen is going to be one of the most most intriguing lineups just because like we it's high, a, so we finally get to see this 2020 draft class kind of separate themselves. Who's got it? Who might be hitting a wall? Um, and it's going to be exciting to see who who rises to the top. And I, I think of this lineup, I've said numerous times, I think John Rhodes is the sleeper of this draft class, but also Jacob Teeter is certainly, uh,
2: I think, a big name to watch in this draft class as well. Yeah, he's starting to get the shout-outs from uh, old Mr. Matt Blood in all his media appearances. But yeah, Servideo, that's one of the big disappointments of the 2021 season is he didn't get a chance to see if that hit tool is real. I mean, obviously, very short sample size. He only batted, what, 240-something in low A Delmarva, and he got off to a really slow start as far as batting average-wise. So it would have been interesting to see him eventually get a promotion to high A. And as we heard from Kyle Glazer, you know, low A was very um, – fastball heavy, and not much of a challenge for advanced hitters. So it would have been interesting to see once a player like that and these guys that we're talking about from the 2021 draft class, they get to see some of the better breaking stuff and a little more polished pitchers, see what they can do. Obviously, they all had a great great start in the FCL and then low A, but to be kind of expected when you're talking about polished college uh, performers. So like you said, it'll be interesting to see who breaks out. And I think Dante Williams is going to be a big surprise for some people this year.
1: Now, when you look at this outfield, I see Colton Cowser as someone who can move quickly. Um, I don't know that high A pitching is going to be much of a challenge to him. Yes, he needs to face better breaking balls at the professional level than he saw last year at low A. I just don't know that high A is going to be much of a challenge for him. And I think that based off of what we saw last year, Bowie might be the place where you look for him to make strides with home run power. Not necessarily Aberdeen, but we'll see how it plays out and same thing with Connor Norby, you know, the infield logjam jam is real with the, in, you know, is there just like it is with the outfielders. But I think that if Norby hits the way he did at Del Marva, he's not going to be at Aberdeen lawn. Kobe Mayo just in, in so many ways interests me because what we saw last year was basically the best case scenario that you could have drawn up for Kobe Mayo's debut season. Really couldn't have asked for anything more. And I liked what I saw of the defense when I saw him in person and it, you know, it was kind of reinforced by watching games on my LB TV and seeing how he handled the position. Do either one of you think that Mayo could sort of go on maybe a mini Gunnar Henderson trajectory where it's not three levels, but you're looking at two levels and he's going to spend significant chunks of time at double a after a good stretch in Aberdeen.
2: After the way he performed last year, I could definitely see it. I mean, this is a guy that could just explode to the top prospect of the Orioles, one of the p- top prospects in baseball. I mean, let's not get two out of him, but this is a guy that his potential is huge. And when it rolls around, as long as they're together, the Couser, Norby, Mayo, Trio, I'm tuning in for those three at-bats in a row <laughs> whenever Aberdeen's on, even if there's no announcer <laughs> or not. But, uh, yeah, Mayo, man, this is an exciting kid. If he does indeed start at high A and not back at Low A, which I don't really see a reason why he would. He's 20, 20 years old. I think he'll still be so. I mean, when you're that young at that level, if he's performing, and especially if he gets up to Double A and keeps doing it, I mean, the sky's the limit at that point.
0: Yeah, I I want to see these guys challenged. I, I think they they you're not coming off that twenty twenty lull anymore. You've had a full season. Uh, you've had fall instructional camp. You're going to have a full, hopefully a full minor league spring training. I'm interested to see. You know, how does COVID impact? Minor league spring training. Like, are they going to be able to get in games, those backfield games against other teams? We'll have to see what happens. But um, I'm very intrigued to see how high Kobe Mayo goes this year because I've said it before, he's the real deal. Um, I want to know, like, as far as the hitters, the pitching staff, like, I have some thoughts there. But to, to continue to talk about the hitters, I think Colton Kowser, I've been thinking about this one too. Could Colton Kowser start the year in double A? Now, I know Rock thinks he's starting back in Del Marva, which, like, we got the minor leagues, Rock. We're good. Uh, we can cover this. I think Kowser, I think there's this very small chance, but I, that's another thing. Just like the Westberg, it's something that creeps into my mind when I look over this piece again. Like, could Kowser start the year in double eight? And I don't think it's an outrageous question because he, I think Bob's, I don't know if you said this in the piece or not, uh, but you, you said this before. Like, it looked like he was playing Little League last year. It really did. Like, he was not challenged at all in the FCL or low A. Uh, the power wasn't there. Sure,
2: that's fine. That will come around. There's no question about that. But I don't know. Yeah, I like Rock said, I, I think there was something uh, in mis- miscommunication there. I think there's a better chance he does start at double A than he starts at, at low A Marva. At the very least, he should be this year's Kyle Stowers. Go from high A all the way to triple A by the end of the season, even if it's not too much time in triple A at the end there. And banging on the door for 2023, that's a pretty quick turnaround for a top pick in the draft. Two years and in, in the major leagues, hopefully. So it'll be exciting to see how fast he does, he does travel up the system. And that is something they mentioned when they drafted him. Is they, they see him as a quick riser. So I don't think they're going to baby him around too much.
1: If the outfield depth stays the way it is, I have a really hard time seeing Couser get or having Couser start the year at Bowie. But if you see some changes between now and the start of the minor league season and the start of the major league season, I wouldn't rule it out. I think that if there's anybody who can make the jump from low A to double A, it's Kauser. Um My guess though, is that partially because of depth and partially to see what he does against better breaking balls, he does start back at Aberdeen. Um, I do want to turn our attention to this rotation. I want to hear your thoughts, Nick, because you actually just wrote about several of these players recently and in a show we had a couple of weeks ago, you kind of expanded on your thoughts on guys like Noah Denoyer, Brandon Young, Gene Pinto. So, looking at Aberdeen's rotation, you have to feel like it's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, maybe some of the more, if you're a more casual fan, you're going to look at that and maybe not be as excited. But, like, Brandon Young is turned into very quickly into like my prospect to watch. Uh, and to see someone like Matt Blood say, like this is someone you need to watch uh, only reinforces that tenfold. Jane um, Pinto is our guy. Everyone who listens to the show <laughs> knows that, but I'm interested to see these other four guys you have listed here. Carlos Tavera, Ryan Watson, Houston Roth, and Noah DeNoyer. Like I want to see who of that, those sleepers, lesser-known prospects, who breaks out because Ryan Watson had a, a decent season, probably more of a reliever. Houston Roth had a fantastic year in Delmarva. Him and Zach Peak were doing the piggyback thing for a while there. They were super effective. I think Houston Roth just hit a wall. Um, Denoyer got get, getting the shout out from Brad Siolek on MLB Pipelines podcast, like we mentioned. He was effective last year when he got moved to High A. So, like, I want to see do any of those guys truly break out now that they're in High A. Does Griffin McClarty put his name on the map finally? We know that was the first pitcher drafted by Michael Elias. Um, you know, Ignacio Feliz is listed here. Like, was was his time in Delmarva just this mirage, or like, can can he rebound a little bit? And Carlos Tavera, I mean, he got a lot of. If you read that blurb there on Matt Blood's piece in the Athletic, like that was a huge, huge praise. I felt like for Carlos Tavera, first pitcher taken in last year's draft. Seem like four pitches, three of them they said are like major league quality data on those pitches right now, Um, and I just thought he pitched twelve innings in Delmarva and they were just kind of like they were fine. He he walked a lot of guys, uh, struck out a couple, didn't really allow any hits. But if he can be a breakout guy, like that's that could be huge uh, for you know the the depths of this pitching in in the rotation.
2: So I think that's one of my favorite storylines of this high A roster. Yeah, I think maybe Carlos Tavera could be like the Kyle Bradish steal of uh, steal of this draft where he, his uh, ceiling is a lot higher than we initially thought. And yeah, high A was the place where there's so many guys here that it almost has to be a piggyback situation. Like you said, Phillies, McLarty, DeNoyer, Watson, Roth, uh, Brandon Young could probably stand on his own with Gene P- Pinto and Carlos Tavera, but even Jake Lyons in here and even more, where that came from, um, the lefty, the soft toss and left lefty, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's in the mix as well, and yeah, this pitching staff will be interesting. And it's a pitcher's park. There's you're not going to give up too many home runs unless you're Garrett Stallings at a Leaders Field. So should be should be interesting, and maybe someone can can make a name for themselves and eventually push for that move up to Double A.
1: We'll go down to Delmarva now, where I think the outfield in particular is going to draw a lot of interest because. Miss De Son would be the starting center fielder for the Stewart Birds, according to Bob's projection, with Heston Kerstad in right field. Some of the other notable names there include Trendon Craig, who seems to be a player that is emerging as a possible breakout candidate. Ryan Higgins, Isaac DeLeon, Colin Burns, the 2021 draftee that actually played pretty well at Del Marva when he was there last summer. Um, and then this pitching staff, uh, Raul Rangel, Rangel um, at the top of the list, he's someone we talked about as a breakout candidate a couple weeks ago, and another name that I know um, Nick became pretty high on at the end of last year. Peter Van Loon is in the mix for the Sourbirds, so this is a roster that maybe doesn't have the star power of a buoy, but pretty interesting nonetheless. But I think where we're all going to what we're all going to be watching the start of the year is Heston Kurstad we're, you know, hoping that everything stays on track with him to make a good return next year. We're just going to be excited to see him on the field no matter where he is and with him well with his, you know, health. But from a baseball perspective, I'll start with you on this, Bob. What are kind of your expectations for what we see from Kirkstad uh in the first couple months of next year?
2: I think they might slow play it a little bit, but if it's similar to last year where it's mostly fastballs, that seems like something that could really, he could feast on, get his confidence up, let him crush the ball for a month, month and a half before you really move him up. Don't be super quick to advance him because you know, he's not going to make it to AAA this year. So just let him get his at-bats, get his confidence and don't, you know, I'm sure they'll give him like at least one or two days off a week. I think he's definitely the focus of the low A to start the year. And, and if it's not him, it's all the international guys who's going to break out and who's going to make the next step. But, yeah, Kerstad, I think you just got to gotta hope he gets off to a good start. But even if not, just just be patient with him. You know, he might not be 100% right away.
0: Yeah, just the fact that he's out there on the field is going to be amazing to see. Uh, and I'm super excited for it. I think, yeah, I don't think you see him play, you know, six days a week out there. Even you're probably going to see him DH a lot. You're probably going to see him take days off. You know, I'm sure they can have guys on this roster like – uh, Davis Tavares and others, some of the other international guys who the organization seems, you know, decent on uh, they're that they'd be more than happy to give some time to while they give Chris some breaks, especially early on in the year. But um, he's definitely going to be the focal, the focal point of this Delmarva roster as far as the hitters go. And I think I thought looking at these rosters, initially Delmarva, at least at the start of the year was going to be my favorite level to watch because like Bob mentioned, the international prospects, um, you know, I think there are some names you have here, like Steven Acevedo is a name that the Orioles seemed high on, especially going into this year, and a lot of Orioles fans were high on. But then, you know, statistically, a lot, you know, Steven Acevedo, Luis Gonzalez, they didn't have great statistical years last year. But you know, we know that the stats in the FDL DSL tells very little, but. Can they move up to full season ball and make a big impact this year? I really want to see that. Uh, Isaac DeLeon, for whatever reason, like I just get super excited whenever I see that name. Like I think something keeps pulling me to him, uh, telling me that like he's going to be big, and I'm very anxious to finally watch him live to see all that play out. Uh, I, I don't know what it is because I've never seen this guy play live except for Eric Garfield's video clips. Uh, but for whatever reason, I keep getting drawn to Isaac DeLeon's name.
2: And it's kind of Moises Ramirez for me on that front. I Haven't really seen much video of him, but it seems like he doesn't walk. He doesn't strike out much, but he just hits the ball. Where it kind of seems like a, I've heard a Miguel Cabrera comparison. Obviously, that's insane, but I want to see what this guy looks up like at the plate. And and you got these guys like Colin Burns. I don't expect him to be in Low A too long. I would imagine if Anthony Servideo makes it up to Double A at some point, he'll quickly take his spot at shortstop. And Ryan Higgins, you didn't see much of him at the end of last year. So I have him at first base. I know he can play third base as well. I would imagine he moves up before too long as well.
1: Yeah, I think that the influx of players that were signed internationally, uh, either originally by the Orioles or acquired in trades like they're are really going to be the thing to watch and Delmarva because this is going to be our first opportunity to see a lot of these guys live. Unless you've seen you know, twips, uh, clips on Eric Garfield's Twitter, uh, or you know clips on social media. You haven't seen a lot of video of these guys, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. You know, exposed to full season baseball for the first time, and a lot of them are still 19, 20 years old. They're still really young players. You know, and Steven Acevedo, who Nick mentioned a little bit ago, he turned 19 in August, so he's going to possibly spend most of Low A as a most of the Low A season as a 19 year old.
2: Yeah, and that's important to keep in context when you look at the stats he's putting up, the numbers he's putting up, just like Daryl Hernai's last year. It didn't seem like he had the best season, but for his age and to stay at that level and be pretty consistent the whole year, that's pretty valuable. So it'll be interesting to see what Acevedo does.
0: I'm also really intrigued by and Craig, and I want to know more like with him because he was, what, the 20th round pick? So the last pick of the Orioles draft last year but he might be like the most surprising pick of that draft by the end of the year. Like we could be talking about what a big season trending Craig had uh, just because like, again, going back to that Matt blood piece in the athletic in his comments on those 10 prospects to watch, like it seems just like Craig is this super raw moldable player that may not ever be a top 30 guy, but the Orioles think that all the tools are there and he's a super moldable player that, if their development staff can hit all the right buttons with him, that he could maybe be a contributor. And I think it could be another good case study too on how good this player development staff is. Like, Can they take this 20th round Juco kid extremely raw and turn him into something? So I think that's going to be a name that I think Orioles fans should pay attention to a little bit next year.
2: That is an excellent point. And uh, a lot of these guys that are kind of these college guys or even high school international guys let's see the lower levels of the minor league system when the orioles have had their hands on these guys early uh getting them into the system and developing them developing them Uh, let's see how how well that goes obviously we saw a lot of good progress on that front last year hopefully it continues this year and if we could transition into the pitching staff there's some guys here that it kind of reminds me of last year uh i want to say it was Aberdeen and Delmarva similar type thing it's the draft picks you know, the Orioles wait to take all their pitches at the end when you don't really know much about these guys, but clearly they see something in them. So which one of these guys like Gillies, Hyde, Armbruster, Van Loon, Lloyd, Grady, Long, which of these guys going to be mostly bullpen guys? Who's gonna Who are they going to put in the rotation and trust to develop there? And then you got a couple of the international guys like Ranghill and Moises Chase who are super interesting to see what they do.
1: Yeah, When I looked at this rotation initially, it reminded me a lot of the opening day rotation at Del Marvo in 2021, where a lot of younger guys that we didn't have a lot of data on, didn't have a lot of background on, but you knew that there was some potential. And Rangel is someone that we've talked about a few times on this show now. And when we update our top 50 here in a few weeks, he's someone that will probably be on it. Um, And I know Nick wrote about him recently over at BSL and. That was a piece that if you haven't read yet, go back and check that out because it's got a lot of good information about these pitchers on it.
0: Yeah, just, you know, tall, lanky kid who already has good fastball velo, but he's, again, like so many of those hitters you mentioned, he's just so young that you get him in the system for a couple of years, they're going to be able to put a ton of weight on him, and I think it's only going to help. The rest of these guys, like, honestly, this is going to be interesting because, like, I think all of these guys, except Ren Hell, Chase, I'm not too sure about just because I don't know as much about him, but like I think everyone else on this list is pretty much like a reliever when you look at the, once they get to the upper levels of the minor leagues, I think. But we've said that about so many guys in the past and the Orioles have yet to convert any of them to a reliever yet. And they're still hanging around AAA, but um, like Gillis is interesting. I think after the draft, there was a, a quote, I think it was from a scout Someone at Tulane had got, like, a quote from a scout saying, like, oh, this is a guy who, like, can shoot up the minor league system of be in the pros in, like, two years or something. They had super high praise for him. But I don't think he pitched at all last year. Him and Hyde, Dylan Hyde, I don't think either of them pitched at all last year after the draft. Um, Brewster is kind of interesting, too. I love Peter Van Loon. Uh, he's my favorite pitcher of the last year's draft class. But, again, same thing. I think he's more of a reliever. So it would be interesting to see how they divvy up these innings in Delmarva next year to start the year.
1: We'll go down now to the FCL, and Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time you've tried to project a complex league roster.
2: Yeah, I think this goes to show the, the presence of the international front moving in with Kobe Perez and we Elias. How we've, I've never even known who the heck's going to be on the FCL roster. I didn't have a clue before uh, they came in. So, yeah, definitely interesting, and it's it's pretty exciting if you look at it, just the international flair and the upside that some of these guys could have.
1: I'm talking about international free agents. Michael Hernandez would, uh, is projected to be the shortstop at the FCL by Bob. Samuel Basayo is projected to be the catcher with Anderson De Los Santos at third base. Luis Gonzalez would be back, repeating the level in left field. And then the rotation, you have Luis Ortiz, who is expected to be back. Uh, Miguel Padilla, who's an interesting arm to Watts. Um, and then Carter Balmer, uh, the 2020 draft pick who missed the 2021 season with Tommy John surgery, all reports that we have heard indicate that the rehab is going well, but it does seem like given the fact that Baumler really has lost, you know, two seasons over the pandemic, barely pits in 2020 got hurt before the 2021 season, missed all of that. It seems like putting him in the FCL is a smart move, but I don't think that that's a damper, any expectations of him being a breakout candidate. Uh, This year as someone who could really rise up most prospect rankings, pretty much. I think most of the major outlets right now have Ballmer in their top 30. But I could easily see that being top 15, if not higher, if Ballmer is healthy uh, by June and pitching as well as we think he can.
2: Yeah, I think Baumler might be a year behind his 2020 draft brethren, Kobe Mayo, in impressing late in the season, kind of going on that Gene Pinto run where it's FCL numbers are lighting up the building, gets promoted to Delmarva, and just continues racking up the strikeouts and looking great. So I could definitely see him being a serious breakout guy this year. And, and same goes with some of these uh, Dominican Summer League pitchers like Anthony Murillo, Cesar Alvarez. Uh, Davy Cruz. These guys look great in a DSL. I mean, look, their stat lines look great, at least. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I can imagine a time in August of next year where we've got Eric Garfield on this podcast and he's just raving about these pitchers and all these position players that, you know, getting more details in that. So that'll be that'll be fun.
0: Yeah, And even someone like Miguel Padilla, like Eric mentioned before when he was on our show last year, like the stuff is good. The numbers weren't that great if you look at his his FCL stat line last year, but the stuff does look really good. I think the curveball especially was like his dominant pitch there. Uh, So it's still an interesting name to watch as well. I love the hitters in this lineup. Anderson De Los Santos is like an unknown outside of the super hardcore inner circle among us fans uh even to me like I know absolutely nothing about him except like his age uh height and weight and what he did last year um but I for whatever reason he's getting a lot of hype out of the organization and again that's a name that I'm going to pay attention to um is just a mammoth of a human being there's no way this kid is still 17 years old he's going to mash home runs uh and Creed Willems that could be also be another sleeper in this draft class. Like the high school catcher, does he stay at catcher? I don't know. He's still so young. So there's still plenty of time to answer that question as well. Him and Basayo. But if you're anywhere near Sarasota, when these games start up, like you could watch two guys, million dollar plus million dollar signing bonus guys in Hernandez and Basayo and two ma- mammoth human beings in Basayo and Creed Wellems mash home runs down there in Sarasota. So it could have be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I would pay, I would pay double the MILB-TV package price to get FCL games. If anybody is listening, that could help uh, make that happen.
2: And name a better Complexly Catching Tandem than Creed Willems and Samuel Basalo. I'll wait. No, uh, It'll be interesting to see Ilya Prado, G- Junior Lara. These are guys we've talked about in the last few weeks as well. Just finally get to get them in some game action. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if Prado is ready before the FCL season starts and maybe Kerstad gets off to a hot start and gets promoted. Maybe you see him show up at Delmarva before the FCL season even starts.
1: You know, looking at this list, I feel like I really, and this is probably what's going to happen. If you have two FCL teams for the Orioles next year, you have the one, one and Willems on the other, Let them get as many innings behind the plate as possible while continuing to work on their plate approach. But Both just have, Basayo especially, just so much power from the left side. And I think that as you develop them, you want to see them, you know, become better defenders behind the plate. But the raw tools that are there right now make both of them really interesting prospects.
0: No doubt. And we finally get to see, I would just, I want to see that uh, Andrew Kashner trade uh, return in Del Marva next year, uh, just so we can bring up the Andrew Kashner trade talks again because I think Zach mentioned this last time we did a live show. That trade feels like it was five years ago, and we have the two returns in Ramiro and Prado here, possibly starting the year in the FCL still. It's, it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, it's insane. This is a trade that got it all started on the Michael Elias front, and I think this is uh, the FCL is where you'll see Reed Trimble start his season, most likely, as he's coming back from injury, so Keep an eye on that as well.
1: Yep. And um, I'll throw this out as a quick trivia question for you guys. Andrew Kastner did not pitch after the 2019 season. Um, how many innings did Andrew Kastner pitch for the Red Sox? And what was his ERA? I'll award the winner the one who gets the closest without going over.
2: I want to say 17 innings and an ERA of 6.80.
0: I was thinking close to that for the ERA. I'll say like 27 innings and like a
1: 5-9 ERA. That's too low. So it was 53 and two-thirds innings. I do uh, not remember man. him being a Red Sox no. for, <laughs> for, for that long. It was 53 and two-thirds innings with the Red Sox, and he had a 6.2 ERA.
2: Yeah, the ERA adds <laughs> up.
1: Yeah, and um, we got a listener question here. Uh, a couple of them actually. Mayo and Baumler start 2022 at Del Marva. Uh, Michael Hernandez and Basayo start at Del Marva. Which is more likely?
0: Mm, I mean, which is more likely? Hernandez and Basayo uh, starting at Del Marva, but they're just so young, extremely young. I don't think they're going to make that jump to start the year for sure. I think they'll be the SCL. Um, Mayo doesn't need to be back in Del Marva. I-, I just don't think. And Baumler. He's coming off the Tommy John surgery, so he hasn't pitched yet. I think they let him ease his way back in with a couple of FCL starts. But like Bob mentioned, it probably won't be too long before he's in Delmarva's rotation as well, because it's been, I can't remember exactly when he had that surgery, but I feel like by the time the minor season starts, he should be 100% ready to go. It's just about easing him back into things. But I guess if you got to pick one of those two, I'd say the more likely would be the two international guys.
2: I feel like I can squint and make excuses for why Mayo and Baumler would start in Marva more so than Hernandez and Poseidon just because, like you said, they're so young and I feel like they want to keep to the progression that they're already going to. But you could see maybe they want to bring Mayo back just to to let him uh, get off to a hot start and then maybe Baumler so far ahead in his recovery and he's just rearing and ready to go that they want to get him out there. But I don't think either one's really all that likely.
1: Yeah, I think both are long shots and I think I kind of lean uh, – towards Bob's argument about Mayo, where if you squint, you really want to come up with an excuse of why he should be back at low A. You can make one. And the timeline, Ballmer, Ballmer had his Tommy John surgery, as I recall, late October of 2019. So he should be ready to go health-wise by opening day. I think it's just a matter of whether you want him facing low A hitters right out of the gate when really has not pitched in the last two years. Uh, versus letting him continue to work out in the warm weather in Sarasota and start off against teenagers in the Complex League in late May, early June.
2: Yeah, or maybe uh, Delmarva's owner is threatening a lockout, so he wants those ticket sales, get Kobe Mayo, and up in there with Heston Kersad to start the season. Do
1: so we have any other uh, listener questions on projective roster? Yep, uh, this is from Andrew. How high do you guys think JD Mundy goes this year? Mundy, as you may, some of our listeners might recall, really rose up the Orioles' uh, farm system last year, making it to Bowie before an injury cut his season short. We expect to be back on the field in 2022 uh, healthy. So we'll start with Nick on this question.
0: Good question, because I think I mentioned this before. I thought for sure, and I apologize to JD Mundy uh because i am a fan now but i thought for sure jd monday was going to when he got to high a hit like 180 uh with maybe like 10 home runs uh but like a 40 percent strikeout rate as well um but the kid hit so well in delmarva and then got promoted to high a and hit even better it felt like um yeah i pulled up a statue 11 home runs in 20 in 52 games in high a um and I can't remember, what were that that park factors? Wasn't Aberdeen, like, extremely difficult to hit home runs in? Yeah, yeah So that's impressive as well. A 131 WRC plus in high A. Uh, two promotions, finished the year in A, even though he didn't get to play because he had that uh, finger injury. Um, I mean, I don't think he makes the big leagues, but I think for certain he can end the year in A because he's going to be healthy come opening day. And if he hits like he did last year, we mentioned before, too, there's a lot of legitimate first-base prospects in the system with Mundy, T.T. Bowens, Jacob Teeter. Like, That's a, a fun position to watch now down in the minor leagues.
2: Yeah, it, it was pretty cool that they gave Mundy that paper promotion up to up to double AA double uh, Billy just to kind of solidify his season, even though he ended it with an injury. But the kid can mash, so I definitely would not be surprised if he's he's starting in Billy, ending the year in Norfolk, and then is challenging uh, Tyler Nevin for that bench spot opening day 2023 on the major league roster.
1: Yeah. I think that it's entirely in the realm of possibility. He plays at two levels this year. The depth of first baseman at the major league level makes a three level scenario hard for me to imagine with him, but I think we could see Monday get promoted from Bowie to Norfolk at some point. So here's a question from uh, Eric caps. How many Orioles playoff appearances do you think these baby birds will make? I think starting 2023, the Orioles will be perennial contenders till 2030. Seven-year window seems about right given the current service time rules, but we'll see if that changes. You would also hope, given that you have a spectrum of prospects that runs from Adley Rutzman, who's going to be 24 next season, to teenagers like Hernandez and Visayel, that you could see it last a little bit longer. But this is an interesting question, and I'll let Nick start with this.
0: I mean, how many teams are we expanding the playoff to? That's also an important question because uh, it seems like playoffs are expanding. Uh, and I don't know, how many teams were they talking about possibly making? It was like 14 teams or was it that ridiculous?
1: Yeah, uh, 14, I, I believe, yeah. is in one of the proposals. So if it's something ridiculous like that, I mean,
0: you've got to be making the playoffs like eight out of 10 years. I mean, I feel like if not more. Um, but no, I mean, over that period, that stretch of period, I don't know. I could say all but two years, maybe making the play. I'm gonna say all but two years. I'll say that. I'm gonna be optimistic tonight. I mean, anyway. Eric,
2: Eric, why are you so <laughs> pessimist? You're such a, a pessimist. 2030, why are you stopping there? I mean, this is going all the way to the 2050s. Let's go. No, I mean it's so hard to say, like we said, it's expanded playoff system, and you know, the Orioles are gonna have the number one pick in the draft again this year, which is gonna to help to extend things a little bit. We're finally in that international signing phase where we can keep these high upside guys just coming and coming. And at some point that will pay off. So, yeah, I think with all those ingredients, they're going to realign in divisions and we'll be in there with the Phillies, the Pirates, uh, the Nationals, <laughs> a much weaker field. Uh, this thing's going all the way to the, the end of the baseball world.
1: Yeah, I'll um, I'll say that I don't – if the current playoff system is there – After the CBA, I don't see the Orioles as a playoff team in 2023. I just think too much would have to go right between now and then. I think they're above, possibly above 500, but I don't know that they're playoffs. If the playoffs are expanded, though, then yes. And between 2023 and 2030, if you have a 14-team playoff and you don't have expansion until somewhere closer to the end of that window, I could see the Orioles in there every year. Because you're talking about almost half the league making the playoffs. I can see the Orioles in there every year. If you have a 14 team playoff, if you don't, then I think you have maybe a 2024 to 2030 31 window where they maybe make the playoffs five times.
2: And honestly, even if you know, you know, we've always said, are the Orioles going to be more Astros? Are going to be more Rays? Even if they're more Rays, I feel like the system right now is built stable enough to to last six seven years on its own and have enough talent to provide that kind of team.
0: Yeah. And too, like this is why you build up the minor leagues as deep as as Michael has so far, and continue to build it up. If you get one more really good draft class here, having that number one overall pick, the biggest signing bonus pool, uh, you get all of that. Stockpile even more with even if you go the college route more often, and you load up with more college, advanced college hitters, uh, and then you use the international signing period to bring in you know more of the younger, high ceiling guys, like. That's that's the assets that you're going to continuously trade from, and you're going to see a lot of these guys move them more often to replenish the major league roster and continue to keep that uh, playoff caliber team. So, I mean, this is, it's not just about, you know, sitting here and I almost feel like there's a faction of fans who think like Orioles are, are completely banking on this World Series potential team coming strictly from this group of prospects. And as high as we are on a, so many of these guys, like I think all three of us would agree, we know that's not going to be the case. A lot of these guys are going to be traded uh, eventually. Some of these guys hopefully do make up that initial core that get us to above 500 and a respectable franchise again. But then once you reach that level, you're going to start seeing so many more of these top prospects traded for major league talent. And But first, you got to build it up. And when Zach Fincy is one of your top middle infielders in the system, <laughs> you got nothing to trade for. So it's, it's getting there. It, it's close.
1: Agreed. Very good point. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot to watch in the next few years. Shifting our focus back to 2022, Nick had a piece recently over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com talking about players who are bounce, expected to bounce back from injury uh, this season, and a lot of them are names that we talked about while we were talking projected rosters earlier in the night. Players like DL Hall, Anthony servidio Carter Baumler. You look at that group, and Nick can expand on it a little bit more you look at some of the players in that group and there's tremendous upside. And, you know, I didn't even mention Joey Ortiz, who Nick highlighted in his piece, looking at this, you feel like particularly the high A and double A rosters could really benefit from guys that are bouncing back from injury next year. And this piece got me excited to think about what we could see from some of them. So I'll turn it over to you, Nick. Um, we saw a lot of injuries in 2021. Um, but the group you highlighted it seems like the ones where there's either tremendous ceiling for them to bounce back like DL Hall or where there's maybe some untouched breakout potential with players like Joey Ortiz and Anthony Servidio.
0: Yeah, I think it was really just when you look back at 2021 injuries were probably the biggest downfall of that season. And there were so many more uh, that you could have talked about here, but Yeah, I mentioned using Diaz in the piece and said, like, I don't think he's really worth talking about at this point in this scenario. But like DL Hall, I I almost feel like maybe I could be wrong, but I get the sense that so many people are are putting this like injury prone label on Hall. And I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that's accurate at all. Uh, And there just seems to be uh, this vibe that I'm getting that more and more people are becoming a little bit more down on Hall after not watching him last year. Like this is still one of the more explosive pitching prospects in all of baseball not just in Baltimore. Um, and yeah, the walks were still an issue last year in his limited time in Double A, but everything else improved so much more uh, that we've talked about numerous times since then. So I think he's going to be back, even if it's a late start to the season. You're looking at another elite pitching prospect here that's close to the major leagues. Uh, Ortiz, he seemed to be one of the biggest risers last year in this farm system because this light hitting shortstop who had good defense is now a power hitting shortstop with amazing defense in double a before his injury Um, highly touted by the organization. Matt blood came on this podcast and hyped him up again. And um, I bought into every bit of that hype and I'm excited to see what he can do because, and I mentioned the piece though, with Ortiz, that um, for whatever reason, I see Ortiz being one of those trade pieces. Like he's, he's so good defensively as well. And if he can hit the ball and that hit tool shows out in double a again next year, and he gets promoted to triple a. I could see Ortiz being a guy. If you're super high on Westbury and Henderson, Ortiz could be a guy that headlines or or helps beef up uh, some sort of trade package. Uh, And then we talked about Sir Video as well, but Hanifei was the other one as well. And I actually just got a video over the weekend of Hanifei playing catch. So he's throwing and a simple video like that uh, made me smile and made me very happy, but um, he's playing catch again at least. And we'll see what happens last year, but next year when he's finally healthy, but we've seen that heavy sink fastball. It seems like he's been a sleeper in the system for many years. And I, I hope he's able to pitch in double a next year. We finally see some sort of breakout from him as well. Cause that just adds again, that just adds this depth of this pitching in the system that this empty cupboard that apparently we have, which is not so
2: empty. Yeah. This was a great piece by Nick. Definitely go read it, check it out. Um, you know, it's spot on with everything he's saying here. I mean, last year, the biggest problem, like I said earlier, and like Nick just said, was injuries. I mean, we had so many guys go down. Even if they didn't go down and miss the rest of the season, they missed big chunks like Taron Vavra. So, yeah, I think 2022, it's going to be a redemption for a lot of these guys. I think they're probably jealous of all the all the guys who made their big jumps and got to stay in there and, and work their way through the their development. And they want to get the action, and hopefully 2022 will be their year to do so.
1: I'm I'm really interested to see what Hannafe does if he is able to get on the mound in Bowie because coming into 2021, we thought that he was a strong bounce back candidate. You know, in part because of the Orioles development system. It sounded like they put in a lot of good work with him during the shutdown, but then also getting out of Frederick. It seemed like he was one of those guys who was, you know, his numbers took a bit of a dip during his season in Frederick. And the sense was that moving to Bowie could be Better for him, and I think that even if there's a scenario where he starts the year at one of the lower levels, as he progresses his way back from Tommy John surgery, he's going to pitch most of the season of Bowie, and there's definite breakout potential there.
0: It was all the secondaries. That was a, I think everything you saw written about Hanafy was that this is a potential sleeper. But can he get more swing and miss as he moves up through the system? And can his secondary pitches, can the change up, can the slider become pro-quality pitches? And that was his, his heavy focus. He was here in town all during the shutdown. That's, that's what he primarily focused on to make better. And him and guys at the Next Level Academy here in town – Firmly believe that those pitches had truly progressed, and I think everyone was extremely excited to see those pitches play out in Bowie. But unfortunately, I think it was he was the probable starter that night. It was like night one or two of the season, or two or three of the season, and he ended up. It was Cody Sedlock walked out on, onto the mound, and I'm like, where is Brendan Hanafy? And then like two days later, it was like, oh, he's in Texas having Tommy John surgery. So that was definitely unfortunate, but hopefully, uh, big things to come.
2: Right-handed Zach Britton, we got to make up for Zach Pop. I think uh, Brendan Hanafy <laughs> could be the guy.
1: Move on to one uh, bit of baseball news that's happened since our last show that seemingly doesn't affect the Orioles, but Bob had built this hype train uh, over the last few months that I think all three of us eventually got on, which was Kyle Seeger opening day, third baseman for the Orioles. Well, that's not going to happen because Kyle Seeger retired after a very solid major league career, uh, leaves the game at the fairly young age of 34, and coming off a season where hit two twelve, so some of his numbers weren't great, but he also set a career high with 35 homers and 101 RBIs. And he looks like he could at least be a one- or two-year stopgap option for the Orioles while they were waiting for someone from the farm system to take over at third base, perhaps Jordan Westbrook or Gunnar Henderson. But that's not going to be the case now. So as we close the chapter on the possibility of Kyle Seager coming to Baltimore. Bob, do you have any thoughts?
2: It's the biggest indictment on this organization in a long time that, you know, Kyle Seager would rather retire than, than accept our three year $36 million offer. (laughs) No, I mean, it was definitely a surprising outcome here. The guy clearly still has some left in the tank. He hit 33 home runs or whatever, and, and still put up good defense and good power numbers last year. So would have loved to have had him, but unfortunately, you know, all things end terribly when you're an Orioles fan. So it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll sign someone else. We'll find someone else to fill that gap, but there'll, there'll always be a hole right here. In my heart.
0: Yeah, I mean It would have been cool to see him add to the roster. I bought into the hype. Um, I actually heard on a Mariner show recently, they were talking about him that said he knew he was done in Seattle. And so he kind of just like, I'm doing me this year and I'm going home runner bust. And you're just going to deal with that while I'm in this lineup. So that's probably why the average and on base percentage dropped so much, but yeah, all the best to him. And, I mean, the Orioles have third baseman locked down, though. You guys are just going to have to accept that Kelvin Gutierrez is, is your opening day uh, third baseman at Birdland. So. And he's here to stay for a while.
2: Three months, maybe.
1: <laughs> is he part of that 2024 Orioles playoff team? I mean, it
2: ain't Ryan Bannon, so, yeah, it's Kelvin Gutierrez. He's probably going to be <laughs> coaching in the GCL somewhere.
1: <laughs> also want to give a shout-out to a uh, friend of the show, John Mioli, who announced a few days ago that he has left the Baltimore Sun. He did excellent work on the beat there. Good news, though, the Baltimore Sun is in excellent hands with Nathan Ruiz. Uh, back to John Mioli, though. wanted to mention his new venture, which is a Substack newsletter, Maximizing Playoff Odds. Bob, Nick, and I have all subscribed. We got an excellent piece this morning, as did all of John's subscribers, on the work that Adley Rutzman put into his swing last year. To kind of help him get out of a min- little bit of a mini slump he was having during the summer, um, John has talked about this before on our show. Uh, he had a good piece about it today, so be sure to check that out uh, when you get the chance.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I'm glad you said Nathan Ruiz is a is a great, capable guy who uh, he does good work as well. So definitely, still be reading the Sun for his work. But John Mioli, man, he was he was the best. I feel like that the Orioles have had as far as press goes in the past four or five years or so. So Shout out to him. Definitely sign up for that newsletter and whatever he's doing, I'm sure he'll be good at it. So best of luck to his future. Yeah,
0: Not just saying this because he was a two-time guest on our show and hopefully a uh, future guest many times over, but like Miole just gets it. And I think he explains everything in a way that both casual fans and observers can understand. And the more analytically inclined fans can understand and, and appreciate and enjoy as well. Um, And so, yeah, definitely going to miss the regular every day, every other day articles from uh, Mioli. But great piece so far with Rutschman today that just really made me sit back and think for a second, like, hitting a baseball is extremely hard. Like, I knew that. But when you read little pieces like that, you know, attacking the ball as it drifts, you know, later, uh, or being more aggressive uh, and attacking the ball, like compared to Juan Soto waits a little bit longer. Cody Bellinger gets out in front of the pitches and attacks it. uh, And trying to find this, this, which one works best for you, Hitting baseball is hard, and a piece like that, I felt like broke it down in such a way that I enjoyed it. I got it. I could visualize it, uh, and I'm going to miss reading that every
2: single day. So, best of luck in whatever new adventure John Mioli is on. And just in regards to that that piece in specific, pretty incredible that Adley's like, hmm, do I be Cody Bellinger or Juan Soto? Uh, I, I think he chose sure right. He went to Juan Soto route. So,
1: absolutely. So, best of luck to John with his new venture. We will be back next week with a guest. Uh, we'll have more details about that between now and our next show. Follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds. Check out Baltimore Sports and Life for all the latest coverage on the Orioles, the quickly slipping Baltimore Ravens, college sports, high school sports, and more. Be sure to check out the excellent work from our colleagues over there and join the message board to interact with fellow readers as well as Baltimore Sports and Life writers. Uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sweden. You've been listening to On the Verbs.